Are you wandering in the wilderness? Or are you a voice in the wilderness? Welcome to the Revival Cry podcast. This is your host, Eric Miller. Isaiah 40 verse 3 says, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. The goal of this podcast is to encourage you to use the voice God has given you to make Jesus famous. Every week, we will share principles from the Word of God, interviews, and encouragement in order to strengthen your voice. Thank you for joining me today, and now here is today's podcast. I want to talk to you today about freedom from legalistic vows. Freedom from legalistic vows, and this kind of came on me the other day, and I felt like it was for today. I recently had a conversation with a friend whose daughter has been fasting a lot, and that's a good thing when your teenagers are fasting, right? And and you're not trying to correct them to stop doing all kinds of other terrible things, but she had to talk to her daughter to encourage her you know, that what you're doing is awesome, but don't be legalistic about it. You know, and and sometimes even the good things that we do, God needs to help us learn how to do it with grace. Learn how to do it spirit-led, not do it because somebody else is doing it or because uh, we feel like that if we do it, we're going to get something from God. We just fast because we love Him. And there's certain times and seasons that the Lord will ask us to do that. And this girl has been very faithful. And so her mom was simply encouraging her about not being legalistic. And legalism is something that can really destroy believers in a way that keeps us busy, but it doesn't allow us to receive what the Lord wants to do. Let me give you some quotes Uh, from three different people here. David Wilkerson said, At its heart, legalism is a desire to appear holy. It is trying to be justified before men and not God. So a lot of what we do sometimes is to be seen by other people, right? Now, uh, the grandson of Billy Graham, I think his name is Tulian Chivitin. I don't know how to say it. Looks like Chinese right there. He said this, legalism says God will love us if we change. The gospel says God will change us because he loves us. See, we don't come to Jesus and have to make everything right before we meet him. We just come to Jesus and surrender and let him take care of the rest. He's the one who paid the price. You don't have to pay the price anymore. Okay, of of. Now, there's a price that we pay in walking with the Lord, right? But that price is empowered by the love of the Father. We don't serve God because we have to. We serve God because we get to. We we get to know His love. Out of that motivation of serving the Lord is why the disciples were willing to lay their lives down for the gospel. You know, when we were in Rome in September last year, we went to the Colosseum, and many Christians were martyred in that place. And I don't go there to just see the beautiful architecture. I go there because I want to honor those people who spilled their blood for the gospel so that one day I would be able to have a Bible on my phone. (laughs) 
That's right. I mean, we, we don't think about that. Most of these folks, you know, they probably didn't have a printed Bible. But whatever they had, they would memorize and they would, you know, put it deep into the recesses of their heart because they did not want to sin against God anymore. Gerhardus Voss, another good name, says legalism lacks the supreme sense of worship. It obeys, but it does not adore. It's what does that mean? You could come in here and worship today and lift your hands and sway with the beat of the music and have no concept of what you're doing. You could be Pentecostal. You could be charismatic and still go to hell. You could be a missionary and still go to hell. Steve Hill at the Brownsville Revival used to say all the time that you can go to hell with baptismal water dripping off your face. You think, ooh, that's tough. Well, we want revival, right? We want awakening. But do we want God to change everybody else except us? Because here's, here's the deal. Revival begins with your heart. My heart. I don't come in here in any place that we go to and preach on revival and missions without saying, I'm willing to lay everything down for the gospel. Everything. I have to. Why? He did that for me. We love because he first loved us. He's our motivator. He, he's the one who tells us that I'm going to give an example for you so that you can follow my lifestyle. You know, when we think of vows, we might think of, you know, marriage vows that people make in a wedding ceremony in front of, uh, you know, family, in front of God, in front of a congregation of people. And, you know, some of the vows that people say is, I take Casey to be my wedded wife, to have and hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer or poorer, right? Sickness and in hell to love and to cherish till death. Do us part. I pledge my faithfulness. That is a vow that most people just brush off nowadays. Let me get the ceremonial over so we can say we're married now and get the tax benefits or, you know, be able to look good before other people and things like that. I, I know that people get married because they, they love somebody. Hopefully that's the motivation. The Philippines, sometimes people, men from America come to marry a Filipina, not because they love them, but because they want a pretty girl who's 20 years younger than them. Yeah. There's a lot of different motivation why people get married. But if our motivation is not to honor the Lord in everything that we do, then our vows don't mean anything. And our, what is a vow? A vow is basically a promise. I'm going to define what that means in a moment. What do you give your time to? What do you give your money to? What do you give your life for? See, these vows that we make are very important because God has written them down. And one day we will stand before him. And he will say, remember when you said this to me? Remember when you said this to your spouse? Remember when you said this to your kids? Remember when you said this in front of the church? Remember when you made this promise to that guy on the street that you didn't fulfill? Look, I'm not here to condemn anybody today because we're talking about the love of the Father. 
But a lot of times we confuse the love of God with, with Him liking us so that we can feel like we could just simply get by with God. But God doesn't just like you. He does love you. He is interested in all of who you are. And because of that, He's going to challenge you to change. He is the Lord and He does not change. We have to change. We, he's a creator. We're the creation. We were made in his image. It's not about us. I've been on a mission field and, and gone through difficult challenges financially or sickness or whatever it might be. And there's always a question, God, why did you allow this? <laughs> and when we go through these issues, right? Or maybe we're in debt or, or we're facing some type of hardship or relational tension. God, why, why, why? But here's the thing. When we're intimate with Jesus, we don't lose focus of what his word says. And God is always faithful to his word. And so if I am determined to keeping him first in my life, then when I make a vow, I don't do it rashly. You know, we make vows to not only our spouses, but to many other people. Some vows we fail to keep, some we forget, and other vows, they still haunt us. In fact, I would say to you today that if there is something of a negative thought or a vow or something you said or something that somebody said over you that comes to your mind while I'm speaking today because I believe that the Holy Spirit will bring these things to your remembrance, I would encourage you to write down specifically what that negative thought is or what that thing is that you did or didn't do. That way you can deal with that before the Lord later and not forget. Yeah. Some vows we feel guilty for since we never should have made them in the first place. Guilty. I'm telling you, I'm the first one in this room who's guilty for making rash vows. When, when the Lord was calling us to the Philippines, I briefly talked to Casey about it and then I went into the Fire International office and they said well just sign on the dotted line here that you're going to be a missionary here so I signed and I didn't talk to Casey right away because I had a I had a wrong understanding about marriage at that time <laughs> and Casey was very willing to go but she needed to be able to communicate and not just agree I mean, sure, we should agree, but the point is, is that God doesn't just demand of us to follow him. He says, follow me, and I'm going to lay my life down for you. This is your motivation to follow me. See, nobody is going to be able to stand before Jesus one day and say, you didn't love me. Yeah. Nobody's going to be able to stand before God and say, well, why didn't you do everything that you possibly could do? There is nothing else that Jesus can do. Nothing. He did the absolute best of what he could do. You think about that. There's a lot of, oh, sure, God can do anything. But God has communicated to us through his word that the way that I'm going to show you how much I care is by giving you my only begotten son. And he will lay his life down. I mean, that's pretty intense. Some vows we are not sure if we're allowed to be free from because we feel bound by what people said over us. 
I don't know if you've ever felt it before, but sometimes when I want to uh, do my thing and it's not God's thing, man makes his plans, but the Lord ordains your steps. That when I try and make something happen and it's not working and I keep knocking on the door and there's no answer to open that door, it feels like, okay, maybe, Lord, I need to listen to the process of elimination right now and surrender again. This doesn't make sense to me, but okay, I'm going to surrender to you and trust you. And then it happens. I wonder if we didn't obey God to go to Italy in September, if the doors would not have opened yet in the Philippines. I don't know how all that works, and I'm not trying to figure it all out. But what I'm saying is obedience leads to greater obedience. Yeah. Obedience opens the doors. It's like the front door of a house. Once you open that door and you go inside, you can have access to all these other rooms, all these other gifts of the Spirit that our brother prophesied a few minutes ago, all these other opportunities to hear from God and to download revelation and experience divine appointments. People ask us, how do you, how do you live like you do? How do you, you don't have the marriage you have? How do you have kids that love God do this? And I would simply tell you we have surrendered because <laughs> we still don't know how it all works but every day we come before the Lord and when I screw up I come before God and I say Lord forgive me help me or I go to my wife forgive me help me or my kids forgive, or whoever it is but I am not about to allow anything to come between my relationship with Jesus because I remember the darkness that I lived in. When I lived just several miles down the road over 25 years ago and was bound by pornography and lust and anger and all kinds of garbage that ruled my life, I was a slave to sin. I don't want that stuff again. Other people may have made vows or promises over you or against you. You know, have you had negative words spoken or declared over your life that, you know, you're a failure, you're never going to amount to anything? You know, this God you follow, he doesn't hear you. There's all kinds of things that we hear. And then sometimes if we don't rebuke those thoughts, if you know they're absolutely not from God, and write them or you, we internalize them, and then we allow them to create patterns of thinking in our life that drive us away from intimacy with Jesus. Lord, I pray right now that any ungodly vows, any words that have been spoken, any things that came out of our mouth that we have declared, said, done, or thought, Lord, curses, works of witchcraft, Lord, I bind those things in the name of Jesus and just thank you, Lord, that you're not just dealing with somebody else today. You're dealing with me in Jesus' name. So what is a vow? Well, Eastman's Bible Dictionary says a vow is a couple of things. One, a voluntary promise, which when once made were to be kept if the thing vowed was right. So if you vowed for, you know, again, at the altar, that's probably the most famous type of vow we would make, then we keep our promise. Amen. 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 Okay. And, and again, if you've been divorced, there is forgiveness. 
That's exactly what I'm talking about today. Is that there is a place of being made right with God. And and the Lord, yes, he hates those things, but I'll tell you what God also hates. He hates condemnation, guilt, shame, and fear. That binds people. And there is a place of freedom in the Lord. The blood of Jesus is powerful to forgive more than you realize. A vow is a promise made to God to perform or abstain from performing a certain thing. Lord, I'll go anywhere for you. (laughs) But not the Philippines. (laughs) When I tell people sometimes what, what I've had to eat over there, you know, you know, like fish eyeball soup. You ever goes you ever go fishing like with a pole and you have a bobber? Okay? Yeah, that's what that's what the soup is like. It's like the little little eyeballs like a bobber. And it just it just I just Jesus name. And you just hit your spoon and it comes up and it looks at you. And then you then you then you put that eyeball on this side of your mouth in here and you bite it and there's explosion to the other side so <clears throat> and it's amazing how you can see underwater it's just supernatural <laughs> I t- <laughs> we were in Italy in Sicily and I had a couple of friends who were evangelists who were with me Keith Collins Kim Pounders amazing guys and Ken they, probably the most incredible Italian meal we've ever had. There's a family in the church that owns a restaurant for 50 years. They know what they're doing. And there's five courses, you know. How many want to go on a mission trip to Italy right now? And, and they brought out, you know, the, the appetizers. And, and, and there was like four or five fish. And they were just fried with the heads on it and everything. And, and, and they were about that big. And I looked at it, and I looked at Ken, and I said, this is so good. <laughs> I bit the head right away. It was so good. It was really good. But and uh, they're just little bones and stuff. I mean, sometimes I have a manifestation where I wiggle like, no, okay. All right, I need to stop right now. You know, all of us have made vows and promises to God ourselves and other people some vows we made have we have failed to fulfill some vows we made were unrealistic some vows we made were to get God to do something for us some of the vows we made were made out of emotion anger regret condemnation shame and guilt some vows we made were to get back at others for hurting us. You say, why are we going like this today? Because I love what happened at Asbury. I think it was real. I do. I think it was a real move of God. But I think social media helped. What do you mean by that? Why did a town that has seven, 8,000 people all of a sudden have 50,000 people? Well, yeah, people would come all over. They came all over to Brownsville. But Brownsville, there was no social media. media. Toronto, no social media. People heard word of mouth. And I'm not saying social media is all wrong. But what I am saying is that 
thousands of people went from seven, eight thousand people to fifty thousand people. The town had to encourage the university to encourage people to not come anymore because they could not handle just the sewer alone. There were not enough restaurants, there weren't hotels or anything, and it was overloading this community. While I believe it was real and genuine, and I have friends who went there that really got touched by God, I think that a lot of what we see nowadays is so built up so quickly because of our ability to communicate in ways that we never were able to before that we're trying to do God's part for him. And I understand about getting excited. I promise you, if something broke out here today, I'd probably be the first one saying, hey, come to Abundant Life. God's moving. Then in line, you know, I, I don't, I'd probably have to be careful of that now. But why are you saying that, Eric? Because we're not allowing the Holy Spirit to, to breed repentance in people's hearts. Come to this place, get a touch from God, and go away, and everything will be better. Well, you know what? Here's the, here's the hard thing for the pastors. Make disciples. Look, real revival is going to produce real changed lives. People who surrender everything to the Lord. And don't just go there to get a touch and say, oh, yeah, I went there 20 years ago. It was awesome. I haven't spoken tongues since then, but it was awesome. <laughs> I don't, see, I don't, I don't understand that. If, if I'm not praying in the Spirit on a regular basis, if I'm not in the Word of God on a regular basis, if I'm not making sure that things are right with me, God, my wife, my family, all these things, I want to tell you, there is a fear of the Lord in my heart. There is something that I just can't walk around saying, okay, yeah, everything's fine and happy right now. No, it's not. It bothers me when I go with my wife to watch the movie on trafficking the other night. I don't know if you saw this movie, but that hits home because we have a house of restoration in the Philippines and we have four, four or three. We have four little kids who are abused by their father in our feeding program in horrible ways. And it's been a two-year process of trying to get them out of that situation into a safe house. And now they're in a safe house with our House of Restoration missionaries that take in only trafficking victims. And it's, it's horrible what you see people go through. And I don't understand... And I'm being honest this morning, how we can go to church week after week after week and think, praise God, it's not me. When Isaiah said, no, here I am, Lord, send me. It's a different perspective because we understand that our words have weight. We understand that it's important to walk in freedom before the Lord. We cannot just say, I'm going to receive the benefits of salvation and then try and live this Christian life the way that we deem we can or should. That's idolatry. Because we're creating a type of Christianity that doesn't exist. There's only one type of Christianity and it comes from the Word of God. Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Now there's more to that. 
Because there's benefits of dying. There's resurrection. There's a lifestyle of, of, of understanding the love of the Father as your motivator that gives you tears when you preach the gospel. Have the vows you made or were made over you affected your ability to be truthful? If the vows we have made are not based on biblical truth and the guidance of the Holy Spirit, then those vows can become memorial stones or patterns of thinking which can become detours to our ability to fulfill God's plan for our lives. We have to be very careful about what comes out of this thing. We gotta, we gotta read what the book of James talks about. That the tongue is like a rudder that steers a ship. <laughs> it's small, but it can set a lot on fire very quickly. We have to be careful about not only what we say, but be reminded that what was said over us in the name of Jesus, we have authority to take a stand against it and not believe everything that's been said over us. John 8, 32 says, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. John 17, 17, Sanctify, which means purify, separate, consecrate, make them holy by your truth. Your word is truth. How does God redeem our vows? By forgiving, of, forgiving us of our legalistic, ungodly thoughts, patterns, and agreements. By renewing our minds with what His Word says. By empowering us with the Holy Spirit to make choices based on conviction. By breaking old patterns of thinking we made in the past to replace those patterns with godly truth. People say, I want to be free. Well, when you say you want to be free, does that mean you just want me to lay my hands on you or Pastor John and say in the name of Jesus, be free? Because it don't work like that. I have no power within myself to save anybody, to forgive sins, to heal bodies, to cast out demons, to raise it in. I have nothing within myself. But I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. And my goal is not for you to look at us as somebody and say, oh, they're on the spiritual you know, platform. I don't know if I'll ever access. No, that's garbage. The whole purpose of uh, Ephesians 5 ministries is to equip the church to know Jesus. It's, it's not to do everything. It's not to be a superhero. It's not to be you know, the one that everybody points to and says, wow, he's a great man or woman of God. I don't even care about that. I tell you, I don't care if I'm preaching in front of 10 people or 10,000 people. Because what I do, I don't do for them. And I don't do for myself. I do it because there was a Savior who died on a rugged cross for me. Shed his blood in a horrible way so that I can experience freedom. And my goal is not to have a big famous ministry, but to say, you can have what we have and I hope you have it more. Let me read some scriptures. Psalm 56, 11, and 12. In God I have put my trust. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Vows made to you are binding upon me, O God. I will render praises to you. For you have delivered my soul from death. You have not kept my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of the living. Proverbs 20, 25. It is a snare a trap for a man to devote rashly something as holy and afterward reconsider his vows. See, 
When we receive forgiveness, it's not because we just confess our sin. We repent. We turn away from it. So if we say we're going to repent, but then we go back to those things, the scripture said it's like a dog returning to its vomit. But we don't see sin exceedingly sinful like that until we believe that repentance is something more than confession. Are you with me? Because my favorite scripture verse is Matthew 3 verse 8. It says, produce John the Baptist preaching in front of everybody. He says, produce fruit while keeping with repentance. Repentance is not a bad word, and it's not a one-time event. It is a lifestyle. It allows us to access what's already given to us when we're born again. And when we realize that all the fullness of Jesus dwells in us when we're born again, and yet we don't see all those things coming about that we expect to see, The issue is never with God, it's with us. He's already given us everything, but we have to have, give him access over and over and over to our hearts so these patterns of thinking can change. So these vows that we made can be broken if they're ungodly vows. If they're godly vows, awesome. And so that we can get free from the negative words and thoughts that have been spoken over us. Ecclesiastes 5, verses 2 through 5. Do not be rash with your mouth. (laughs) And let not your heart utter anything hastily before God. For God is in heaven. You are on earth. Yes, yes, sir. (laughs) Therefore, let your words be few. Wow. Where words are many, sin is not absent. For a dream comes through much activity, and a fool's voice is known by his many words. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it, for he has no pleasure in fools. I didn't say it. Pay what you have vowed. Better not to vow than to vow and not pay. How many of you have heard the story of Jephthah and his daughter? All right, we're just going to briefly read it, okay? Judges 11. He has all these other folks who say, we want the land back that you took from us. And he said, well, we didn't take it from you. God gave it to us because we asked you for permission to walk through your land, but you said no, and then you attacked us, and so you lost, and God gave it to us. So you talk to him. That's, I'm summarizing the Eric Miller version. <laughs> and I'm glad they didn't give it back because that's God's land. Verse 29. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, and he passed through Gilead and Manasseh, and passed through Mizpah of Gilead. And from Mizpah of Gilead he advanced towards the people of Ammon. And Jephthah 
made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will indeed deliver the people of Ammon into my hands, then it will be that whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me, when I return in peace from the people of Ammon, shall surely be the Lord's, and I will offer it up as a burnt offering. Sounds really good, doesn't it? Until you read on. Wow, man, he's zealous. He's excited about God. So Jephthah advanced towards the people of Ammon to fight against them, and the Lord delivered them into his hands, and he defeated them from Aror as far as Mineth, twenty cities, and to Abel Karamim with a very great slaughter. Thus the people of Ammon were subdued before the children of Israel. Now remember, this was the time before the kings, the book of Judges. It was... It was a pretty harsh time. <laughs> Verse 34. When Jephthah came to his house at Mizpah, there was his daughter coming out to meet him with timbrels and dancing, and she was his only child. Besides her, he had neither son or daughter. And it came to pass when he saw her that he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low. You are among those who trouble me. For I have given my word to the Lord that I cannot go back on it. I'm going to sacrifice as a burnt offering anything that comes out of the house. That's, what it, that's the vow that he made. Verse 36, we're almost done. So she said to him, my father, look at her response. <laughs> if you have given your word to the Lord, do to me according to what has gone out of your mouth. Because the Lord has avenged you of your enemies, the people of Ammon. Then she said to her father, Let this thing be done for me. Let me be alone for two months, that I may go and wander in the mountains and bewail my virginity, my friends and I. So he said, Go. And he sent her away for two months. And she went with her friends and bewailed her virginity on the mountains. And it was so that at the end of two months that she returned to her father. And he carried out his vow with her, which he had vowed. She knew no man. And it became a custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went four days each year to lament the daughter of Jephthah the Gileadite. My question is, if God would have given her two months, he could have given her longer. What's my point? I believe God never expected Jephthah to uphold that unrealistic vow over his daughter. Amen. I don't. And the scripture does not tell us what actually happened to her. Now, whether he did offer his daughter as a burning sacrifice, that goes against the laws of God. So in a situation like this, instead of saying, oh, why would God allow that? Well, when you get to know God's character and nature, you realize that that's not who he is. And Jephthah does not represent him fully. Doesn't know him well. Doesn't. And yet we tend to look at that and say, well, maybe God doesn't care about my situation. Instead of looking into the story because you have a relationship with the author. You see, my point is this, is that when we know the nature and character of God, to me, it's not hard to figure out what is God and what's not God. So when I make a vow for something, if I know his word and I know him as a person, 
then I'm not worried about whether I'm obeying him or not. I don't, I don't, I'll make a confession here. Sometimes Sunday mornings, I don't have the prayer time that I have throughout the week. Because I look over my notes, I prepare because I have been praying in the spirit all week long. And then because of transition and going places and stuff like that, it's a little bit challenging to, to have all the free time to do that stuff. And you say, well, you should just get up earlier. Okay. <laughs> if you're willing to move with me to the Philippines... I'd be more than happy. But see, that's my point. It's, it's easy for us to make judgments about why people do things in a certain way and some people don't because we don't live their lifestyle. And then when we compare our life to each other and not to God, it's easier to say things about other people than it is to be responsible for our words. And we become legalistic. I believe God would have forgiven Jephthah of his ungodly vow he made at that moment. I think if he would have said, God, forgive me, I said something wrong. But he didn't know God like that. He only understood God legalistically. And it's amazing to me that God would give him victory. Why? Because God has a bigger purpose than Jephthah for Israel. As important as you are, you and I are not the center of the universe. I mean, it's funny, but the reality is this. Is that when I have teams come from America to the Philippines, and years ago we had a team come, and we have a little Filipina. Her name's Olivia. She's about this tall. And she's, what, in her 30s or something now. Late 30s. No, probably early 40s now. She's a prayer warrior. This, this young lady would evangelize anything that moved. <laughs> she was awesome. And I would have these Americans come in who... They know the word of God, right? And say, look, I'm going to put you with Olivia for the next few days, okay? I, I'm going to go help with this group over here, and you guys have Olivia. You know, that you kind of think that they're like, oh, we really wanted you there. And I'm like, no, you want Olivia right there. I'm telling you, you will get more out of this young lady than you will ever get out of me. Because she spent the whole day in prayer before the team came. And then when they show up, and at the end of the week, they realize not only did she translate everything for them, messages, conversations, guide them along the way, help them not, you know, be taken advantage of and stuff like that, but there was this anointing that dripped off of her life. They're crying at the end of the week because we'd never met somebody so devoted to the Lord. You know, God's nature and character in regards to vows we make was modeled by Abraham and Isaac. Right? Abraham was willing to do whatever God said for him to do. And God told him, go sacrifice your son. And he did it. He was taking his son, laying him on the altar, and then he has that knife up. He's about to slay his son. And what does God say? No, don't do that. I have seen that you're willing to obey me no matter what. And then it becomes one of the key pictures of Jesus the Messiah being laid on the altar by his Father in heaven. Yep. I mean, that's, that's pretty spectacular. Pretty 
But that was the example, and that happened way before Jephthah. And Jephthah knew that. Jephthah would have known the story of Abraham. There's no way he wouldn't have known that story. Jesus sacrifices the most important vow that was ever fulfilled, that was ever spoken, that was ever demonstrated, that was ever fulfilled. That means it takes pressure off of you and I trying to make promises that we can't fulfill. We rely by faith on who he is. And as Pastor said it earlier, our faith with actions will determine our agreement with God to allow him to bring heaven to earth for us whenever we need it. You know, all of our vows can be redeemed by the blood of Jesus and the truth of the word of God. It can be. I spoke a, a message in, and I think it was one of the reasons that stirred up all this demonic activity when I was in Italy, a message on blessings overcome curses. And when I shared that, a lot of young people were getting free, crying, broken, things changing in their hearts. People who had thoughts of suicide. Now, they, they made a thought, a, a vow, that I'm going to kill myself. And yet, at the end of that week, they were evangelizing people on the street. Because that's how quickly God can change things. If we're willing to say, Lord, here are the things that I've said or done or what other people have said or done over me. And I'm going to lay it on the altar and let the blood of Jesus just deal with it. I promise you he knows how to deal with it. I promise you that there is a place of freedom in the Lord that is so wonderful that no matter what, God will sustain you. God will watch over you. Listen, there's nobody who's a martyr that went to heaven thinking, uh, you know what? I'm not going to lay my life down. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change and say I'm not a Christian anymore. And there are opportunities for them. You know, if you, in a, in a Colosseum, if you have hungry lions that weren't fed for days and days and days, maybe longer, and then you're out there holding your daughter's hand. And then those doors were lifted up. And they come rushing out. Before that, you may have had an opportunity. If somebody said, if you'll deny Jesus, we'll bring you out of this place. But they didn't. They didn't. Because they understood the love of God. It wasn't because they thought, well, now if I do this, I'll go to heaven. Well, you're going somewhere. You're about to die. And everybody is going to die. Whether we face that reality or not. Whether I go now or I go when I'm much older. My, my passion is that I'm going to stand before God one day and say, I didn't deny you. I... I didn't make unrighteous vows that I couldn't keep. But I, I, I lived with you in intimacy. And when I failed you, I, I came before you and I said, Lord, I want to repent quickly. I don't want this to become a stain in my life. I want to move forward in life. 
I want to forget the things which are behind and press on and take hold of that which has taken hold of me. I want to endure. I wanted people to know that you were definitely real. And, and here, Lord, here's a train of people that we brought with us. We left everything else on earth. But this is what we could bring. Lord, I, I, I just thank you, Jesus, that there is such a place of freedom in you. Lord, I'm amazed at how Jephthah's daughter responded. She knew something in you that I don't think her daddy did. And she was willing to lay it all down, even as a young lady, unmarried, just because you were so important and valuable. And Lord, we may not know exactly what happened to her, but we know that, Lord Jesus, I believe she's in heaven with you. Maybe even her daddy is. Lord, Scripture says that when Jesus died and went to preach to those in prison, he preached to all those who never had an opportunity to see the Messiah up close, but they had an opportunity to respond in repentance. Lord, we have so much more than them. We've had 2,000 years of historical Christianity. We have the scriptures. We have the Holy Spirit poured out. We have the gifts of the Spirit. We have, Lord, conviction of the Spirit in our own heart. We have so many reasons of why we can be right with you and walk with you and not allow life or words or other things that we have done to keep us back from knowing you. And Lord, I pray today that if we need freedom in you, that you would grant that to every person Lord, that whose heart right now is stirred with a noble theme, a theme of, of saying, I want to come up higher with the Lord. I'm not going to see God through my circumstance. I'm going to come up higher. I want to see you, Lord. I want to know you, Lord. I want to surrender my will to you because you gave everything for me. Thank you for listening to Revival Cry with Eric Miller. Please subscribe, rate, and write a review for this podcast on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To find out more or partner with our missions work around the world, please visit us at revivalcry.org. I look forward to being with you next week.